Welcome to One of Two Hundred, the independent politics and media podcast. My name's Kyle, and I am joined today by Paul and Justine, a co-host lineup that we've never seen before. Welcome to the pod, folks. Been too long. We really never seen this before. <laughs> I don't think wow. this specific lineup. Oh, um, okay. Usually we we either go to yeah unprecedented um, and you know just in time. Um, we've yeah. got the perfect lineup for discussing our topics today. Uh, we're going to be talking about what's been happening um, with the political fortunes of the New Zealand political parties. Uh, talking about the Commerce Commission talking about inflation and the cost of living crisis that Jacinda Ardern is still unwilling to admit exists. Or to call it a crisis. <laughs> but we can, we can get to that. <laughs> now, sounds like, these sound like really cool and um, not depressing <laughs> topics. Hey, you know what? If you, I, I think you know, this, is, this is something that's really important because I know it's been like on Twitter especially where you know, a lot of New Zealand poll hangs out it's been pretty dark um, following some of these polls. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's just, just like a, been a rough time in the world for, for a while now. But if we don't know what the environment is, if we don't know what we're working with, if we're not analysing what, what's actually happening in the world uh, and, and talking about it in a way that helps us make sense of what we need to do, then we can't find a way forward. So that's the view I'm, I'm taking of these things. Um, I encourage everyone else to to try and do that as well. Um, and also just cut yourselves a break. Um, you know, it's okay to feel shitty. Um, it's okay to feel like down in the dumps about stuff. Um, but let's try to do something about it as well. Yeah. All right. Paul, you have the numbers in front of you. I do have the numbers, yeah. So um, two polls have come out recently. Um, the latest one, which um, I guess created um, a bit more media than, than the one before, was the um, One News Cantar poll. Um, and it's the first time since the 2020 election that um, National have taken the lead in that poll. So they're up seven points um, to 39 um, and Labour are down three to 37. Uh, Act are down two to eight and the Greens are steady. So, sorry, Act are down three to eight um, and the Greens are steady. So, you know, initially when Chris Luxon became leader, it, it seemed like National had uh, taken a little bit of that vote back from, from ACT, um, but now they seem to be chipping into that Labour vote is the kind of takeaway message from that that I get. Um, and the poll um, a little bit earlier, uh, a couple of weeks ago now, was the Roy Morgan poll, um, and that uh, also had National ahead of Labour, uh, National on 38, Labour on 32. Um, National had actually overtaken Labour in the Roy Morgan poll um, that was released at the end of January. Um, but now they've, they've increased their lead slightly. Uh, and, and similar similar trends for Act and the Greens. Um, Greens are holding um, pretty steady through all of this um, so far. Uh, so yeah, um, interesting interesting developments. And I guess like the key thing, like you say, Carl, that's contributed to a lot of the, uh, the mood on Twitter um, has obviously been, you know, national kind of taking a lead and people probably coming to the realization that, you know, there's a lot more possibility of seeing a, a prime minister Christopher Luxon after the next election and and what does all that mean? <laughs> I think this is the first time uh, with the Kantar poll that the right wing block, um, so national actor ahead of the Labour Greens as well, right? Yeah, that's right. And actually, interestingly, um, I think neither of them were able to form a majority of seats 
um, in parliament under this poll. Um, and so the Māori Party, who uh, actually I think have one of their highest, mm-hmm. um, I'm just looking at the numbers, actually their highest rating in, in that one news poll since the election as well, 2.3%, they would hold the balance of power with um, three seats, I think. So You know, it's really... Um, my positive takeaway is that I was seeing headlines saying the Maori party is the kingmaker instead of Winston Peters is the kingmaker. That was, that <laughs> yes, was good nice. news. <laughs> that, that really is good news, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it is, look, the trends don't look good. If um, you don't like bald, um, born to rule entitled, sorry, bald. That's okay. You know no, no, no offense you know taken. No, you know what? I'm a Larry David fan, so like to to pretend that I don't love the bald community is like <laughs> it would be wrong. But um, you know, like to me, like Christopher Luxon makes me want to vomit. Like seriously, like the whole vibe is just disgusting to me. It's like the opposite of everything that I hold dear. <laughs> like, and I and I'm sorry to like be so poetic about it, but he really does inspire. Like, I think all national. To be honest, like most of them do, there's there's very few that don't. Um, but at the end, but also the, but I, I also want to focus a little bit on the positives because the Māori Party in Kingmaker is not actually the worst. Like if if this were, if say this was the election result, we would have one of the more the most progressive governments in our history, really. And um, well, mm. actually, no, let me not assume we would be in a position. The left, like <laughs> the 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 Green Party and Te Pāti Māori, would be in a position to negotiate potentially one of the more progressive governments in our history. So that is the one positive, I guess, I take away from that poll. Mm. And there's yeah, no reason a- to think that wouldn't be the outcome. Um, you know, I think people have been saying for the entirety of this Labour majority. Oh, woe is us. Uh, Labour won't do anything. That's just how it is. Um, if only we were voting more for Te Pāti Māori and, and the Greens so they had someone to pull them left. Okay, cool. Now, look, that's on the table now. Um, and we're more than a year out from the election um, in 2023. I think this is probably a good sign that the electorate want something else um and that means people can offer that yeah yeah exactly and that's um similar to that that's one of the main takeaways that i took from this as well is that you know there's there's been more of a focus on um the cost of living housing these kind of like you know more bread and butter kind of issues um like we were talking about on the on the podcast um, late last year when, when Christopher Luxon became leader and there was, you know, a heightened focus on these things. And that has, that has, you know, worked for them. And I think that doesn't necessarily mean that they've got the right answers because I'm sure we'd all agree that they don't. But the one thing that I find interesting is, um, you know, they're, they're touching on the things that people want to see change in. And it's, and it's up to these other parties and the left more generally, I think, to come up with a suite of solutions that actually people can see will make things better for them and actually will make things better for them because what labor have been doing has clearly been just tinkering around the edges. It's not actually, you know, they're they're making sounds that they're addressing these problems, but they're really not. Well, tinkering around the edges and then making a couple of bigger moves that have absolutely fucked things up. Um, And I'm thinking about in terms of housing, for example, Um, like the, the cost of rents, the cost of, um, of housing, um, like, is just out of control now um, after some of the decisions made uh, during the COVID crisis. Uh, and 
it was foreseeable stuff. You know, it's it's made things a lot worse for I'd say maybe the majority of New Zealanders um, in that space. It's yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, and I think like I think like I think it's I think you're right, Paul. Like the fo- refocus on bread and butter issues is a good thing, and it's somewhere something that I think like a socialist politics can really respond to well. Um, I think we are in a bit of a dangerous position though when we have a. It, an incumbent government, a Labour government, not responding to that, saying there's no crisis, while the right is able to pivot and um, and talk to those issues. Yeah, um, for sure. And that's where you kind of see the realignment, um, you know, like which, which is a dangerous realignment where working people out of desperation start to look up elsewhere for answers, right? Um, uh, you know, and and when the left has no answers, has no solutions, and I and I and I guess I am, I, I mean, I'm talking about no, sorry, when Labour, I won't call Labour the left. That that would be <laughs> insulting to the left. Um, when you know Labour doesn't have any solutions, and you know, like sure, there's this dude, he's a bit smarmy, but he's offering a tax cut that would immediately kind of um, ameliorate some of the hardship that you're experiencing at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, that becomes kind of like attractive. So I, I really do think it is bread and butter issues. I think it's interesting as well that, you know, I, I find it interesting, I uh, just to go qu- quickly pivot to the Greens, but um, they're sort of, they've been rock steady now for an, in a number of polls. And I think that that speaks to the fact that they really do have a solid base of like Green voters who, who will vote for the Greens. Um, and I wonder if like, I, I just wish that they had a little bit more of an outward looking kind of, um, like just vision really because they've got those voters it doesn't seem like those voters are going anywhere i mean the greens have really not had very much media space they they you know like they've had very little profile i, I think james shaw has done an absolutely ter- terrible job as co-leader um i think you know i love marama um but she also um hasn't potentially kind of just she hasn't had a profile really in the last in the last term. I haven't seen her very much, um, and yet they're still like rock solid at that nine percent. At you know at like around nine percent, right? And I nine to six percent. And I just think like now would be a really good opportunity for them to be a little bit more outward focused and a little bit more yeah. on the. Hey, look over here. Offense, we got some ideas. Know? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I I agree with most of that. I um, feel like it is still like there are danger signs for the Greens potentially. If they don't do what you're suggesting, Justine, and and you know um, let their you know their policy um, platform be a bit more you know noticed and and advertise it a bit more because you know as I think as Labor's vote does fall a bit, and I think we were saying we we're saying this before as well. Um, I think some voters that uh, have gone to the Greens in the last few years if they don't see more from the Greens, they will probably want to bolster Labour and want to bolster Jacinda against, you know, it'll, it'll, there'll be that sort of two horse race mentality. I think that comes into yep. it again. And that'll um, be and that's dangerous for them. Fanned by know. the media. Uh, and I think yep. um, I'm looking to the next poll um, in terms of the Greens fortunes on this. Um, I'm expecting to see a Greens drop uh, towards Labour. Um, that would like, that's, what you generally see happen if greens hold steady or up their their vote in the next poll i'd be i mean that'd be fantastic news um but i'm not hopeful about that 
Well, so you also see the other dynamic where um, when people are unhappy with labor and particularly like people who do have those progressive kind of values, they go towards the green. So I think there's like a crossover, like. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, no, it's interesting. We, we will see, I guess. One thing which I, I've been seeing a lot of um, on, on social media or coming out of, uh, of labor and, and some progressive circles, uh, which I think has been quite unhelpful just in, in regards to this narrative. And, you know, I'm, I'm not... I don't think narratives um, are necessarily useful, but I think it's important for us to critique them and, and find out where, where they're going wrong. So, you know, we said um, the National are, are coming to us with this 2% tax cut, um, and the response to a lot of that has been like, oh, it's nothing, it's like $2, yada, yada, yada. Where, where, if you're on Twitter, I, this is to everyone who is on social media, um, if you're on Twitter, you're, you're so deep in the weeds already. You're so, you've got access to so much more information um, about what narratives are being pushed, about the detail on these, on these issues than your average voter. That's just, a, that's just a, a fact. I think that most people aren't as concerned about what specifically is being offered and what they're seeing is Christopher Luxon standing up and saying Kiwis are doing it tough and that has to, and something has to change. Hmm. And, and that's why alongside this, this rise in fortunes for the, for the National Party, we've seen an incredible increase in his uh, PM numbers as well, for his preferred PM numbers. They are seeing the narrative that this guy actually is, is saying that there's a problem and that something needs to change and he cares about us. And alternatively, you have Ardern saying, oh, I don't think it's really a crisis, you know, and, and refusing to be drawn on that. That's a significant difference in what's being presented by the two parties. And, you know, the details, like, we haven't had a chance to, to really attack them on either side at the moment, um, except, you know, for like throwaway lines on Twitter, like, this is, a, this is nothing. People aren't paying attention to that yet. We're not in an election season. Mm. Likely people just don't give a fuck. What, what they see is a, someone standing up, and we had a piece from Josh Van Veen um, just come out this week where he outlined this. He's like, this is what um, people are seeing as a, a guy standing up at his um, speech and saying, Kiwis are doing it tough right now. We are the party that is going to help Kiwis out. Um, yeah. And, you know, that sometimes that's enough. Yeah, totally. You're 100% right, Kyle. Um, you know, Christopher Luxon doesn't have to have the the right solutions to be you know, right about some things. And, um, you know, he's, he's right about that, that people are feeling, um, you know, frustrated and, and they're doing it tough. Um, and if he is speaking more genuinely about that or perceived, sorry, I should say perceived to be speaking more genuinely, genuinely about that, then, you know, um, Jacinda Ardern and other politicians, then, yeah, I mean, you can't really blame people for, um, for, taking a look at what national have got to offer, but I just like, I, I want us to dig into this narrative a little bit because it's, I find it really interesting. Um, and I just want to read, this is not to like platform Christopher Luxon's speech more just to analyze how he's saying it, but I want to read this one line because like, I think it touches on what you were talking about, Kyle. And then I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on it um, as well, Justine. But he says, and in, in this is his um, state of the nation speech the other day, he's referring to, um, you know, New Zealanders here, but he says they're frustrated at working ever harder, but not getting ahead. 
at being fed line after line of spin rather than real solutions, at being faced with a sea of bureaucrats and politicians who don't listen and who don't represent them, is that frustration that ultimately drives social division. And I think we would look at that and be like, well, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, but I, I find it really interesting how, you know, the centre-right and national and, you know, parties around the world, they they use these types of narratives to redefine what work is, what hard work is, how we get ahead, you know, all these things are sort of inserted. And then obviously they, you know, um, throw in like beneficiary bashing and, you know, um, self-made person mythology and all this kind of stuff to, to reinforce these narratives. But I think speaking to that kind of, um, that truth that people are facing is quite powerful when you've got a government and a situation like you're describing um, that we've got now, Justine. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very dangerous position for um, Labour to be in when you're being outflanked like that um, on bread and butter working people issues by the the right. Um, and it doesn't matter, you know, I, I think that's right, uh, Paul, it doesn't matter. It actually, yeah, the details don't matter. Um, it's, uh, and Carl, you said that as well. Um, it's actually about like recognizing pain. I actually think like, like really, I mean, I, I think um, recognizing that people are doing it tough. Um, uh, I was thinking about this the other day, but you know, Jacinda's entire brand has been built on this kind of positivity. You know, it's like, um, be kind, aroha. Um, it's, it's, it's been a relentless, I mean, I think she described it herself like a relentlessly, she's a relentlessly positive kind of politician and her campaigns have been relentlessly positive and it's always hit me kind of wrong um that you know even in like back in 2017 it just didn't to me it didn't it didn't hit right and I guess that just speaks to my own state or state of pessimism <laughs> people people have kind of come closer to me no and I, I really like think that I think people are I think that 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 kind of faux that kind of I, I call yeah. it cruel optimism hits really badly um, at the moment when people are struggling and um, to think that the right could like could harness that they absolutely could and you know there's tons of examples in other countries where, where they absolutely have um, and and here actually as well I mean you know also this is the kind of environment I, I think like what people need to grasp and, and I think this is a big one is that this is the type of environment where a government gets kicked out so inflation you know like um when bill clinton was running for president i think it was 92 he's you know he's like what's the election about it's the economy stupid right i mean um it's all about bread and butter issues elections are, are won on bread and butter issues if the economy is doing well if people are feeling okay then generally you know um incumbent governments have a good shot at, at getting back in uh and so this is an inflationary environment we've got like skyrocketing um costs of fuel um essentials groceries we um a housing crisis that's not abating and i and i it's not really like we can talk about the price of housing potentially like dipping by what 10 percent, despite the fact that in the last year it increased by 33 percent. yeah so still what, going up whatever whatever um yeah exactly um uh but rent rents aren't plateauing they're uh they're you know doing that same skyrocket kind of upward um this is the kind of environment where governments get kicked out um, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the COVID record. It doesn't matter how good um, the government is in a crisis. It, it none of it matters. Um, if people are feeling desperate, if if this continues and people feel desperate, they will vote for a change. Um, I, I want to actually 
um, say they're not even necessarily going to vote for a change. They might not vote at all. So, mm. like, this doesn't mean that people are flocking to national necessarily. Although, you know, some people are going to be desperate enough to say, oh, man, that's a bit more money in my pocket. Um, well, I got to look after my family. Um, other people are just going to be like, wow, okay, so nationals, the party that understands what's happening, fuck. Christ, there's no way out of this. I like no point voting. I'm just going to get get my head down, you know. Like, and and we know that when the vote drops, left center left governments go out. Um, Labor has to be offering something else. I think you're absolutely correct um, around the what toxic positivity um, approach uh, of Ardern. Um, this is a a situation now where and you know we've we've been saying this since 2017 um when i initially got in if they are going to if national are going to are going to take back um votes from labor it's going to be attacking labor where labor is strong and luxon whether it is whether it is genuine or not it doesn't fucking matter at the moment it feels like or at least he is presenting a response to the public's um, malaise with empathy instead of saying everything's everything's going to be great. We are great. We're going to keep going forward as a, as a country. He, he's, he's stepping back and saying, no, look, stuff is, stuff is doing hard for people. We need to do something about that. Yeah. yeah. People yeah, notice he's... that. People notice those that, that change in tone. I mean, yeah. I, oh, sorry. Sorry, Paul. Oh, I, was, I was just going to say, he, yeah, he's he's touching on what you know what people are feeling and the specifics of what they're feeling too, right? With like grocery prices and mm-hmm. and petrol prices and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then it doesn't um, certainly help Labor's cause when you know the Prime Minister gets asked you know these kinds of questions, which they are you know sort of gotcha questions by the media, and you know it's how you describe something like how important is it really? But they're asking her, you know, are we seeing cost of living crisis? And I don't think there's even a gotcha in the current situation. That's just like a well, hey. no. I mean, I, I agree. Of course, it's a crisis, but I think like you know, they're 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 doing that thing where they're trying to say this person's saying it's a crisis, this person's saying it's not a crisis. It's, it's a very simplistic kind of narrative to build. But in any case, like you you know, you can't just <laughs> the response to that can't be, oh well, I don't know if we should describe it that way, and then blah blah blah. No, exactly. You know, some other waffle that doesn't resonate. Just say, with yes, them. it is. Yes, we're, yes. it's really tough. You don't have to. You don't have to immediately push back and say, oh no 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 no. I wouldn't use those terms. <laughs> well, that was her. That was her pivoting to the toxic positivity. Uh, she yeah. she wants to frame it in a different way. I mean, I don't think she necessarily even wants to deny that something is wrong. I think she's mm. like, I don't want to call it a crisis. Yeah. Um, which you know is like. Oh my gosh, is that really what you're focusing on right now? Because it like, came across like so badly. Also, just call it a crisis because you have a crisis management government. Just be like, yeah, exactly. it's a crisis. We're gonna fuck but it also, up. Like, but also, like, all you could say was like, yeah, there is like an international crisis right now and yeah. a lot of instability in the global economy, and um, we're gonna hold your hand through that. You know, like, what the hell? That would have been way better. <laughs> but, just, um, anything in that vein, right? I um. Yeah. You know, one thing I, I will say, I think like I think we have to be quite sober about um, the, you know, the risks of uh, national in power because the indications that they've given us, and they haven't given us a lot, but, you know, there has, have been some indications of how they will govern. Um, I think one is um, 
just where their mindset is at, you know, like George Osborne and David Cameron talking at their conference um, says a lot to me because this, they're going to cut, you know, cut things so yeah. hard. And then, and then the other thing that says a lot to me is, yeah, wasteful spend. I mean, obviously there's always that rhetoric from them, but the other thing was, you know, um, the, the wealthy dependency um, rhetoric. So, you know, like, of course you, you might say, Hey, this is just like what the Tories do. They like, this is how they talk. This is what they think, how they think. Sure, but we got to adapt that to like with the current our current context, right? So how does that play now? Because in 2010, there was a lot more fat in the system, and it was you know it was just a very different time. Like people kind of think that it's almost like time resets every time there's a new government, but actually political economy has changed quite drastically, and things have gotten a lot worse. So what what maybe could have been a lot less structurally violent I'm, I mean I'm going to use those words like structurally violent in 97 say is a lot will have a way more pronounced effect in 2022 does that make sense like yeah, what I'm and, trying to say is there's, less, there's a less fat in the system like the, the, the beneficiary like they've already decimated the welfare system you can't talk about wealth independency when, you, when you've gotten rid of like you've basically gotten rid of the welfare system like come on you know really like our current welfare system is not fit for purpose and we know that and like it's, there's no there's no there's no fat in the system to trim there's no fat in the system to trim in our public services either um they have to, you know there's there's we're still like there's still deficits still deficits i mean they like they of course like you know um so so i really think like we have to understand soberly we have to so we have to be very sober about the fact that a national government at this point like or, or to be more clear like actual active austerity because that's yeah. different. That's a bit different. I think that's the distinguishing feature of, of Labour and National is like National's active austerity. Labour's kind of like, well, let's see, we can put a little bit well, more I mean, money, but then we won't fix things. This is a real risk as well, right? Is that Labour gets into some kind of weird bidding war with National about who's going to cut the most costs, and you know that's. I wouldn't put it past them to to try and do that, given uh, Grant Robertson's track record. Well, I, I don't know if that, I think Justine yeah. is is closer to the money on this. Like, it's more of a kind of passive austerity where, like, the response that I've seen from Graham Robertson is, in you know, when National um, say to Labour that they're spending billions of dollars wastefully, you know, Graham Robertson's like, well, what would you cut? You know, tell me what you cut. Sort of like, you know, saying that Labour wouldn't wouldn't cut the spending because it's all it's all important, um, but they're not really doing the things that are necessary to close those deficits that Justine's talking about that have been created over a long period of time. Like if I can, you know, like just working in health, like I can only talk, I really can only talk quite like intimately from that level, but um, so I'm not sure how it relates to everything else, but in health, um, there was a $2 billion deficit when National left power, Um, you know, like they, they definitely ran the health system down to, to the bone. Like it was in a really, really bad state. Like there's no, there's no denying that. Like the, the Tories don't like public health and they want to run it down so that they can privatise it. I mean, that's like the ultimate aim, right? Um, and there were lots of services that were contracted out or otherwise privatised. Lab tests is a good example of that, which, you know, like was sold to a Saudi private, uh, private equity company that they own our blood. So just keep that in mind. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, you know, like, like I can't, hand on my heart, I can't tell you that Labour's done nothing they have put millions of dollars back into health. And so they've definitely ameliorated some 
um, some of that fiscal hole that was there left by, by national that, you know, like it, it, there is a, like, this is why I was, I know that I was annoying everybody on Twitter, but this is why I was trying to say here. <laughs> there is a difference. You don't have to like, like it, it is not good enough, but it, there is a yeah. difference and, and you can see it. Um, but at the same time, those, like those under, like the underlying um, deficits aren't, you know, like it needs to be uh, like, like in order to really fix the issues of like that austerity cause, it actually needs to be quite hard and fast. It needs to be an offensive rather than like a slow kind of let's mm. put money there and there. Yeah. Um, and and so like so so I think over time we will start to see the positive impacts of, of some of the good money that have been put into the health system, but it's been five years and healthcare workers are still struggling. And so they're not necessarily feeling like they're not necessarily even seeing that yet as well. Cause on top of that, we had a pandemic. So maybe I can, so if, if, if that's, if that's a good like illustration, there is a difference between active austerity and kind of a passive kind of like, okay, let's try get these services running, but there's no urgency and there's a lack of urgency, I would say. Um, and, and not giving enough, like never quite giving enough. Um, yeah. And, and I think like, I think I think that's right. That's, so I'm not defending labor. I guess mm. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you what it's like no, in I, the public I, service. Yeah, I fully I fully agree, and I think that yeah, I, I I can see people's frustrations if they look at labor and go, oh, you know, they're just they're just basically the same as national, we're talking about the same things. But you're totally right, Justine. Like we shouldn't forget that there is a tangible difference and you know yeah. some of the things that labor are doing like fair pay agreements and you know, minimum wage increases and that we wouldn't have seen international and you know like it's I, I, just I, that's a plain ideological difference but we just need to also keep in mind that that is not meeting the needs of no, the moment yeah. in, in and, any way shape or form at this point like yeah, yeah. better than national jesus christ is that your bar well, better than <laughs> yeah. and well that's i think that's the issue though like i think like like, you know, because, like, when I think about fair pay agreements, like, particularly fair pay agreements, I would say that that would possibly put this Labour government to the left of, like, the Clark government, which didn't touch um, the kind of uh, industrial relations framework of neoliberalism. And this this does go some way towards that. It's not it's not affixed by any means. Um, but the issue is, again, like, we're talking about material conditions because they've actually deteriorated so much that these things that might have been radical in 2005 to do like maybe it you know like is is now like a, oh is like is it too late kind of thing so i think like it's the the inability to meet this moment um because even if you are governing as like a kind of right because i would say nationals government i mean excuse me national labor has governed like they really have been like a right-wing neoliberals tiny neoliberal like social democrat like small social democrat like you know there have been elements of like right-wing social democracy like like scandinavian right-wing social democracy in in this government which i think like in 2005 would have been very welcome but now we need a lot more than that mm. and it's, does that make sense like that's yeah. kind of my analysis of totally, the situation yeah. yeah and i think this speaks to like a broader kind of strategic failure of incrementalism right you know if we've got you know, half a step forward and like three steps back for 20 years, you know, those three steps back is just going to keep piling up. Yeah. Um, incrementalism doesn't work if, if you're not actually moving forward at any given point. Yeah. You know, if it's. And maybe we can tie this into the other thing that we wanted to talk about that um, Commerce Commission report on the supermarkets. Yeah. Good call. Um, I was keen, about to, to, get to that. there. Yeah. So um, there's been a whole, a whole range of stuff that's, um, 
you know, impacting the cost of living uh, for for New Zealanders. Um, and, you know, it's, it's probably um, similar across the world as well. But specifically in New Zealand, um, one of the things that's been really noticeable for basically anyone who needs to eat to live uh, is the price of groceries has just been going through the fucking roof. Um, and it doesn't seem like anyone has an answer to it. And just this last week, uh, the Commerce Commission released a report into the duopoly um, of supermarket companies here. Um, and I'll, I'll let you give us those details, Paul, because you're going to not get it wrong, like I will. <laughs> I'll, tr- I'll try not to. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, just, just before I do, um, you know, food uh, and, and groceries is a really kind of good example of you know, that, like you're saying, the noticeable effects of what everyone's calling the cost of living crisis. And yeah, it's a crisis, but I just wanted to focus on like my one sort of um, annoyance with that kind of binary framing of, is it a crisis? Is it not a crisis? Um, Is that it's actually, if you look at um, inflation for, you know, the lowest quartile of people in terms of incomes and, and expenditure, they have been facing like double the rate of inflation um, that that the richest have for many many years, right? So crisis as a word kind of indicates something has changed very recently. Like you know, and it's external to us. It's like you know the cost of oil overseas um, or something like that has has created this crisis, and we can get out of it quickly. But actually, no, this has been an ongoing thing for you know many 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 years for a lot of people. Um, but I think that ties in quite well with this um, you know the the situation with. Uh, the supermarkets and the price of groceries. Um, and I guess to give that kind of that kind of briefing on what's happened. So the Commerce Commission has just recently released their final report, which was a market assessment of the supermarket sector. Um, we've got a duopoly in New Zealand, which is two two large corporations that control um, the you know the retail side of of groceries. Um, and they've been you know the Commerce Commission found that the They've brought in $430 million in excess profits. Um, I can't remember what the exact time frame for that was, but that was that was the number that they quoted. Um, and, and in my view, this report was, um, although, although it did lay out like the problem in some detail, um, it was quite a big disappointment, especially considering it was quite a sort of walk back from their draft report, which came out some months ago. Um, which was a lot firmer in terms of like the recommendations, even though it was still not really that strong, but it did suggest things like if, you know, these particular initiatives, which uh, are aimed at improving competition in the sector and then driving down prices, which, you know, to, um, to note is not like, I don't think competition is going to solve everything, but what they're saying is that if those initiatives don't work, then you could look at breaking up the sector, like actually regulating the sector, breaking it up, um, government intervening and you know setting up a sort of third competitor uh, and trying to reduce prices that way for for everyday people um, so what this final report where it backtracked is, is it sort of took all the, a lot of those references out it softened a lot of the language in terms of um, around like collective bargaining for suppliers it started sort of talking about relationships between you know um, the duopoly and suppliers and so on uh, as, as, as if it's this kind of two-way sort of thing. Um, and, and there was a number of other kind of instances where it, where it softened its language. So it was a bit of a disappointment. And I think 
probably what's likely to happen is that it will you know um help the labor government not really do much about this um that this problem that we've got which really is you know a combination of of high prices and low wages in this in the supermarket sector we have to add because that's also one thing that's um, often missing from um a lot of those reports that we see uh, those two things together are contributing to massive profits for the supermarket sector i so. think i saw somewhere that in terms of profit return, New Zealand supermarkets were making double um, of other countries in the OECD um, well, in terms of percentage. That mm. doesn't surprise me at all, though, because if you, I mean, like you could just have to go across the ditch to look at, you know, like the difference in in food prices. Uh, I've, you know, everyone's always commenting on that. And that's one of the big reasons housing and, and grocery bills is the reason people go to Australia. There's a lot more competition in the Australian supermarket um in grocery industry and um yeah as much as we we wouldn't uh, i don't think we are in favor of um like the free market as a solution um it definitely does ameliorate some of um like the competition in the market would definitely ameliorate some of what we're talking about here i mean like it's the same in america uh there is like competition and it does drive down prices a little bit i mean shit i went to hawaii okay that's an expensive ass place that's like a, like a tourist mecca in 2018 and food prices were like cheap for me. I was like, Oh, that's awesome. Man. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, like, I, yeah. Um, I think like I was really disappointed in this report. Cause like you say, Paul, the draft report was a little bit more, f- it wasn't that great, but it was much further reaching and actually kind of went to the heart of what was going on. Well, to a point, um, I think the government was also relying on it if they were going to do anything because, you know, they love reports to be like, oh, well... No, they love the reports we- to do nothing except, about that. Except the, WIAG, except the WIAG report, except the WIAG report, they, yeah. But they need, like, if they were going to do something, they needed a cover to do it and they were kind of relying, I, I think. The thing is, though, yeah, Kyle, I think, like, often they, they don't do anything, but I think here this is, like, a matter of electability, right? I, I think that there is a lot of, like, I feel I think they are feeling quite torn um so so the fact that this report hasn't delivered that is going to be quite difficult now it's 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 going to create quite a difficult situation um but let's be clear like for our for like us we need like urgent political action like for working people we, we, we do, we need urgent political action on this supermarket to operate housing, housing costs specifically. Fuel, I mean, like, we can get to that. Um, Labour, if they want to be re-elected, need to do something. That is another point. I don't really, like, okay, I don't think we should, you know, I think we should focus more on, like, the immediate needs of people rather than, like, the political implications, right? So let's, like, let's just be clear. Like, people need it. And if Labour do want to get re-elected, they do need to do something. Whether Regardless will, of the report. Whether they will is a different story, but they, you know, yeah, that's so what, the situation. What did the report say in, in terms of investigation, Paul? Uh, do you mean on its, its findings? Yeah. What are the key um, points? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it found that there was excess profit um, in, in the sector due to a lack of competition. Um, it found that uh, one of the, one of the key points that it focused on was land banking that happens by the, by the duopoly. So they sort of, um, use the acquisition of, of land that would be appropriate for supermarkets um, to prevent other Wait, players. What? 
yeah um to prevent other players sort of sort of entering um and so the report recommended some action around that but like um but can you so we just buy some land and just sit on it that's that's how i understand it hopefully Holy i haven't got shit. that wrong but um yeah and i mean you know they they could be um purchasing that land for their own expansion in the future and that might be the reason that they give mm-hmm. uh for that but also it conveniently um helps other competitors not enter the market yeah um but uh, also there was um, a, a piece which was actually removed in the um, final report from, from what I could see um, that was in the draft report that said that uh, they often, or, or the drop layers kind of reluctant to compete, um, you know, aggressively on price with each other. Uh, and so that sort of maintains a situation. Oh, reluctant are, is it? I'm sure they don't have discussions about it every fucking day. <laughs> Well, you know, there'll be certain things where they're, they are and aren't allowed to do or whatever. Um, yeah, they're not yeah, actually allowed to be a cartel. They're not allowed to be a cartel um, officially. Yeah, but I mean, there's there's ways there's ways that, um, you know, oligopoly situations, uh, you know, businesses get around this, right? So like they might publicly advertise their price and then that, um, you know, sort of sort of tells the competitor without, you know, actually yeah. calling them up and telling them like, this is, this is what it's going to be or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I found a, a, a number of situations which were leading towards a lack of competition in the market. But one of the key recommendations, well, and the key recommendation, I think, and the final report was basically a code of conduct um, for the sector, uh, both in relation to their relationships with suppliers, but also, you know, how they how they advertise prices, how they um, how they price things, I guess, uh, and maybe information that they make available to, to the government and to the public. But um yeah, things that probably aren't going to uh, have a major impact, I think, is, is safe to say. I don't think I've seen a code of conduct ever work uh, for, for businesses. Because they can just be like, oh, oops, didn't do it. I, I, I think it's telling that the sector welcomed the report and kind of agreed, <laughs> agreed with the findings. But what, one thing I do want to add is that is interesting because between the draft and the final report, there was obviously a lot of lobbying by interested parties. Yeah, I saw this. Including, yeah, including the um, uh, the supermarket dropley and like right wing think tanks, um, and a lot of the rationale that was provided for removing some of the more uh, radical um, suggestions that were in the draft report um, were basically copied into the final report as the as the basis for not recommending those. In the they literally report. cut and paste. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's um, an, yeah. It was incredible seeing um, your highlighting of that on Twitter, uh, side by side. That Just, is like amazing. Wow. Yeah, and people like the access that lobbyists have to decision making processes here in New Zealand is, and just like without without it being like very very obvious, is so intense. It's so easy to just get stuff like that done. And, you know, the people writing this report, the people doing this didn't, um, they didn't have to follow through on that. They didn't have to do that. You know, they could have just said, yeah, you're clearly like a right-wing think tank. You're clearly, you're clearly the actual supermarket duopoly we're reporting on and investigating. We're not going to use your reasoning here um, because that would be ridiculous. But instead because these lobbying groups are, are so strong because of the um, political or otherwise power that these groups hold, 
they just they just took it wholesale and incorporated it into the report and said, okay, don't do anything. Have a code of conduct. It's just it's actually obscene. It makes me to be honest. Sick. To be honest, it's actually just corruption. Like, let's just <laughs> no, but we're the most word. least corrupt country in the world. Like, so uh, I don't you know, know, Justine, if it is corruption. It's actually just that's just corruption. That's what <laughs> it's called. It's called the capturing of of institutions by capital. It's corruption. It's vested interests. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but no money actually uh, changed hands. Um, yeah, sure. I'm so. sure that there'll be benefits to everybody down the road at some point. We, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I I think that's I think we should absolutely. I I I, I think that's a scandal. To be honest, Paul um so i don't know how uh i'm just saying and i would uh happily go protest that so that's all i'm gonna <laughs> well, that's all I'm, I'm just gonna say that and i'm just gonna put that out there like i think that's actually a scandal i was gonna I, say it's all pretty depressing what, what can I, we, it is. how can we lighten the mood one time I, I sat with a um i won't name names i was sitting with a businessman one day you know along my travels and he was talking about the country and he kept talking about new zealand inc new zealand inc new zealand inc and um, I was sitting there, like, uh, like being like New Zealand Inc. Like, is he in the pen? Like, straight up, is he in the printing business? Like, I didn't, like, I didn't, it didn't quite like hit me what he was saying. And it took me a while, and I realized that these people actually think about of this country as a business, um, and they, as businessmen, want to pillage and pilfer and plunder and, and uh, you know, enrich themselves. For, for the, this is their bounty. Like, this is how they view these things, right? Um, and I think, like, if you want to really understand the shit, like, if you really want to understand the, fr- like, the mindset, I really, really recommend you read uh, Bruce Jason, Jason's book, um, Only Their Purpose is Mad. It was written in 1999. Um, and it was about the neoliberal kind of takeover of New Zealand. Like he called it the money men takeover of New Zealand. Anyways, that book still is relevant today. It's 100% completely relevant. It's one of the best books ever written on the subject. If you want to understand John Key, if you want to understand Christopher Luxon, if you want to understand whatever is going on here with the Commerce Commission, read that book. Um, this dude died in 1999 and uh, his words are still resident today like he really had he understood what was going on here and that is who we're up against we're up against people who new zealand inc okay like there's like i think there's like the difference between like our vision of aotearoa like new zealand um and new zealand inc and uh we gotta like be real i mean for me i'm like i want to be real clear about that like that's the difference that i see yeah and it's part of why you know, uh, Luxon does the whole CEO of Air New Zealand thing, right? Um, because it, it is a, it's a, it's an established narrative. Like, it's something which you can just latch on to and, like, I'm going to run this like a business. Businesses are great. Um, I am a businessman. Uh, and, yeah, it resonates with some people. Um, but in terms of the, the Commerce Commission report, um, so all very, all very garbage. Um, but as you said, Justine, like, it shouldn't actually matter in terms of, for government actions, because they need to take some action on cost of living. Um, the issue is that if they don't do anything about uh, the supermarket duopoly keeping prices high, then if they were just to you know give uh, more livable benefits or or put the money in the pockets of um, working class communities 
supermarkets are just like, cool, more money for us, more money for us, put prices up more. Uh, landlords are like, hey, no rent caps. Nice, nice. There's, yeah. there's a real situation where if you're just putting your money in at the, um, at the working class level, if you're not doing anything to control the pilfering uh, by business interests and by capital, it's just going to make the problem worse. Like inflation just goes through the fucking roof. That, that's actually my worry with pay equity, you know, because like, so the government passed this pretty like robust pay equity legislation, which, which um, you know, like allows under workforces that have been, you know, predominantly um, women, which I don't think, like, honestly, it's quite difficult to navigate this stuff, but anyways, um, to go through a process and to have readjustments, um, you know, made in terms of pay. And so like, so we're expecting in healthcare that nursing will get a really sizable um, kind of like readjustment to their pay, which could like, you know, it's exciting in a way because it could like guarantee it's a guarantee that the workforce won't atrophy further if we actually pay them well. I mean, so, and, you know, it's like recognition for historic undervaluing, et cetera, et cetera. Like my, my actual worry though, is that if you get a huge, like well, you can increase wages and I think like wages have increased, um, you know, like the minimum wage has consistently gone up. We are closer to the living wage. What, without controlling the, the cap capital, they're just, they, they, you know, like there's no, there's no measure to make sure that that doesn't just go, yep. that doesn't, isn't a direct transfer to capital actually. And, um, and that, that is a, you know, like, and so like, this is the issue with, with, with being unwilling to confront thine enemy. <laughs> okay. Or from my perspective, it's my enemy. I don't know how Labour sees it, but the you know the enemy. Okay, if you want to like go around at the at the margins and do this and do that, this is going to make life easier. Nah, your enemy's there, and he like they'll take advantage of that. All right, they they're gonna they're gonna take that. Like all of these issues come from the fact that capital is doing what capital does, which is like it wants to hoove up the excess, the surplus. It's 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 their surplus. They want it from their perspective. If, if, if there is nothing to stop them, they will just do that. That is what they will do. That is what, you know, like, uh, I, and I see this with renting as well. Uh, you know, mm. I'm, I'm just, I'm just like, these are rent, this is rent seeking. This is how our yep. economy is functioning. It's a rent seeking economy. And we just have to do, we just have to do something about it. And, you know, national, and I, and I, let me, let me, let's, let's do like a little, like, a little, like, uh, I don't know, game, game theory, game theory, like, Say national wins the election, okay? So national wins the election in 2023. These, this is not, I, I, this isn't going to be a home run for them by any stretch of the imagination. They are going to govern in one of the most unstable times in history <laughs> with an incredibly unhappy populace. I mean, this shit's not going away under national, you know? Like, they're not going to, they're not going to have, it's not going to be smooth sailing either. This is like, Things are bad, guys. <laughs> yeah, one, one, of things, of, one of the things yeah. that just strikes me again and again is, you know, um, and even Ardern has leaned into this. Uh, so, oh, so we, we are the supermarkets. We have to put prices up because there's this uh, global crisis and, you know, like supply costs are more, yada, yada, yada. No, you're, you're clearly just getting more profits. Like you're clearly just not paying your workers enough and you're clearly getting profits beyond what almost anyone else in the OECD gets. You do not need to take those profits. You do not need to raise the prices there, except to 
enrich your shareholders. Mm. Like mm. you don't actually have to do that. There is there is no actual extra cost to you here that you're recurring. This is a well, this is an actual I, choice. Yeah, and I think this is where Justine's comments are so, um, yeah, on the money is that. I, I agree with you, Carl, but that is the logic of capital, right? It needs to it needs to keep growing. It needs to keep increasing profits. Like these, all these bosses have promised shareholders, we're going to keep increasing profits year after year, and we're going to search for ways to do that. And yep, they might be facing additional supply costs, yep. but they're going to use like in in times of crisis and increase you know, inflation and costs. You always see like sure some companies go bust or whatever if they've got um, typically smaller companies, right? And then they get absorbed into the larger companies and so on. But the particularly the bigger companies um, are making you know bigger and bigger profits in times of crisis um, when people are feeling it the most. Yeah. Um, and further to what Justine's saying is that it's you know Labor's strategy is to try and you know be everything to everyone, right? Like not you know they're, they're trying to um, say that they're you know increasing incomes for the for the worst off and solving these. Um, these problems of the cost of living, um, but they're also not naming um, an enemy, and, then, and they're not they're not naming the key problem with this, which is what we're just describing. And, and you know, specifically, you know, that rents keep going up, enriching landlords, um, these prices are going up, and corporate profits are are continuing to rise, and they're they're completely unwilling um, to to yeah. name that. Um, and if you and don't just, intervene, yeah. like there, there's, it, it doesn't stop because this is how the system is like designed. Like there has to be someone to say, okay, cool, we can't do that anymore, because otherwise, we're just yeah. keep doing it. And the government has to act on that. Like, the the state is the only group that can do that. I guess if we like, I think we should make clear like the kind of demands that we the people should be making right now. And it's actually like, to be honest, like we need a green new deal. Like that is exactly what we need right now: a green new deal. We need. Like th- this, this escalating petrol crisis because of the 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 war, the um in um and Russia's invasion of Ukraine, it it is the perfect pretext to decarbonize the economy. Yeah, there Franco was no... saying this um in yesterday's cast as well about Ukraine. Oh, cool, awesome! I love to know that <laughs> we're all thinking along the same lines. The other thing is, we desperately need to renew like our social contract and to, and the state needs to recommit to like guarantee life, like itself, literally to do everything to ensure that people can live and have the fundamentals of life. That is what they need to do. So one is like, this is an opportunity like to, to literally decarbonize the economy and we could, and they could, and they could do it. Right. And the other one is that they could renew the social contract. And that is, and I, I guess I'm being a bit abstract there, but what I mean is that we need we need public entities to to um, supply the essentials of life. We do not need cap- capital has failed. Capital is failing. They failed. They failed in normal times. In this, they failed, and now they're failing in this crisis, right? And we need a green new. We need a green new deal. We well, like I don't know what you want to call it here because people like are like, oh, we can't call it a green deal. I don't give a fuck what you call it. That's what we need. So, yeah, take that and run with it, someone, please. Like. <laughs> I think that's a um that's a good a good place to end is on that plea um to any politicians uh listening to to run with some kind of policy framework uh springing from a, a green new deal. Um did you have any final things that you wanted to add, Paul? Uh, I think it's a good place to leave it. You know, it's a it's um it's frustrating, I guess, to focus on on these problems, but sometimes, like you're saying at the start, Carl, 
if we don't if we don't understand and dig into these issues, then we can't sort of come up with the um, you know the answers and the solutions that we need. But you know, it's not our job. We're not the politicians to come up with all the answers. We can just kick that ball to them, and then uh, yeah. <laughs> At the same time, we can't just kick the ball to them because True. who the fuck knows what they're going to do with it. Hey, thanks uh, once again for joining us uh, here on One of Two Hundred. Been really great to have you all along. Uh, give us a share. Um, let people know about One of Two Hundred. We're a steadily growing audience base. Um, numbers going up all the time. Uh, I think we're really getting ahead of a lot of what we're seeing in the uh, political, economic, um, environmental spheres. Uh, we're often proved correct months down the line as much as we don't want to be proved correct. So let people know that we're out there. Uh, get uh, people engaging with us uh, on Twitter. Uh, it's at 1of200podcast if you want to come and say hi. And you can also find us at 1of200.nz. And that's where we, we put up our articles um, and a whole range of other stuff. For, for people to review. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next week. Relentless routines, the dying embers of your dreams, is the lie aspirational. Will you die keeping your glass half full? The relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is a lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full? You don't hate your nation You hate nationalism You don't hate your 